Hi everyone, welcome to Leukemia Chatters. I'm Charlotte, the Patient Advocacy Manager here at Leukemia Care, and this month we're talking to Claire Evans. Hi Claire, thanks for joining us. Hi Charlotte, thanks for having me. Um, I'm Claire, i am just turned 50, and five years ago in 2015 I was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Um, didn't really see it coming, Although I'd had, in hindsight, now some of the classic symptoms like tiredness, breathlessness, um, extreme bruising and extreme back pain, um, which I certainly didn't know was was a symptom of um, acute lymphoblastic leukaemia at the time. So I went to the GP and was given cocodamol for my back. Um, It didn't seem to be getting any better, so... Over, I think, between March to May, I made five or six visits and I was just given painkillers and it got to the stage where I actually couldn't walk. Yeah. So I was with, I was actually in work. I'd gone back to work on a phased return and the first aider rang 111 and asked for a, a chat. They sent an ambulance for me. Um, I remember at the time they said, oh, you might be here for a week or so, but they did some blood tests initially, but they sent me up to a respiratory ward because I was struggling to breathe. Mm. Um, and after two or three days there, um, a lady from the oncology ward came down and she wanted to do a bone marrow biopsy, which then later turned out to say, yes, it is leukaemia and it is acute lymphoblastic, which is pretty aggressive. Yeah. So uh, three days after I was diagnosed, I started chemo. Yeah, pretty quickly. Uh, Yeah, once they diagnosed what it was, everything did kick off very, very quickly. Uh, Lots of chemo, um, pain management, my back. I didn't realise at the time that... um, Bone marrow is supposed to be sort of gungy and sticky. And where mine was quite diseased, it was powdery. And I think that had added to my vertebrae crumbling. Yeah. I had, I think, at the time I had three compression fractures, which mm. are excruciating. It's the worst pain I think I've ever had. Mm. Um, so, but I, I know now that that can be a symptom of leukaemia. Yeah. certainly didn't then. Uh, I'm mean, say in hindsight now I had all the classic symptoms, but I I didn't know anything about it, so it never yeah. occurred to me that I had blood cancer. Hindsight is a wonderful thing when it comes to these things. And just to go back slightly to sort of the beginning of the story, you mentioned going into hospital. So when you went into hospital at that point, you didn't really know why you were there. It was just a case of you had all these symptoms and they thought you were seriously ill in some way. Is that did I interpret that right? It was. It was the fact that I couldn't walk, that my back was so painful that I couldn't walk. And I think one of the first things they do if you go into hospital and they don't know is to take some blood. Um, I do remember they gave me a bag of tramadol and then a bag of morphine. Mm -hmm. Um, I was still in pain. But I think the first thing they were looking at was the fact that I was getting breathless. Um, But then after, I think the bloods came back abnormal that triggered the bone marrow biopsy and then I was moved up to the cancer ward within two or three days. Yeah. But I think when they're when they're confronted by 
a lady laying on her back saying she can't walk. I'm not sure leukemia would be the first thing that would spring to no. mind, really. No, but like you said, in hindsight, there there were classical symptoms there. Were, did you ever yeah. sort of discuss the connection between them or is it all a bit too quick for, for that to happen? I remember mentioning it to the GP when I, I went in. I said, I'm feeling breathless. I've got a lot of bruising, but she didn't even look. In all the visits to the GP, I never had a blood test. They didn't look at that. They misdiagnosed me as having costochondritis, which I believe is some, an inflammation of the cartilage on the sternum, just sort of here, mm-hmm. which was totally wrong. Um, thinking, I can't really remember detail. There's any sort of bits that come back. But yeah. I guess once I got onto the oncology ward, they look at it and say, yeah, she's covered in bruises. She's tired. She's not breathing properly. Her bloods are a mess. Um, but it did take two or three weeks before they narrowed it down because I think acute lymphoblastic is, is common in children but not so common yes. in adults. From a GP's perspective, it, it, it's a challenge in, in that these uh, some of these things are things that happen in lots of other lots of other illnesses, which is something we see a lot. And how about from yeah. your perspective? Did you ever think about what might be wrong with you and were you suspecting cancer, if not leukemia? No. Not at all? Not at all. I knew I'd done something to my back. I thought possibly the breathlessness, the bruising could be side effects from the amount of painkillers I was taking. Yeah. Um, when they came in and said, we think it's cancer, I was, really? I No, it just didn't. It didn't compute to start with. Um and then when they said, right, we know what it is, you start chemo on Tuesday. And that was that. And I had four months in hospital from going in at the end of May. I didn't go home until the first week of October. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> once I was in, right, we'll crack on and do this. But it wasn't as simple as that because she's so susceptible to infection, any temperature spike they get very, very worried about. My immune system was completely shot. So I was in um, a particular airlock room that they try to keep sterile to minimize infection risks, anything like that. Couldn't even open the windows. <laughs> Four months in one room with, couldn't open the windows, no carpet. It was, it was difficult, yeah. pretty difficult. Um, but I, had a couple of um, the breathlessness was caused by fluid. I'm not sure if it was either in my lung or around my lung, but I had my right lung drained twice. Mm. Um, I had, I think, a total of a litre and a half taken out over two occasions. Mm. Um, once that was done, I did start to feel a lot better, but I was on oxygen for a while. Yeah. I couldn't even walk 10 steps from my bed to the bathroom without getting out of breath it was it was horrible I think it's difficult for some people who uh, to imagine sort of all the different things that come along with a leukemia diagnosis so some of the things you mentioned like having oh, your, God, yeah. your lungs drained I think so uh, to those of us who haven't had leukemia or are not experienced with it it might sound as if you go into hospital you have chemotherapy yes you feel a, a little unwell and then you leave but I, I get there's so much other things yeah. going on like you've described aren't there oh yeah it's not one size fits all I've met other people that have had acute lymphoblastic and had totally different experiences um 
the lot. I haven't met anyone else that's had the sort of lung issues. I mean, I wouldn't wish it on anyone. It was horrid. Mm-hmm. But I had infections. Um, I had to deal with the back pain to get that under control. I was bedridden for probably two weeks or so. First two weeks I was there. So I had to have a physio to start to walk again. I, uh, I had a walking frame with uh, flowers on the front. friend sort of decorated it. So uh, I used to do laps of the ward each day to try and sort of get a little bit of strength up. Yeah. But I think the main thing is to avoid infection because my blood, my neutrophils were, well, off the scale, below zero. Yeah. Um, as well as that, you have platelets, transfusions, blood transfusions, saline, potassium drips. Um, oh, I probably should have listed it somewhere but it's not just a case of having oh here we are with 28 days of chemo and then bang you're better it doesn't work like that and a, a lot of trying to explain to people yeah. when you don't really understand the ins and outs I remember someone, one of my friends saying um, oh well are you better is it working and I thought well it doesn't work that quickly and I think a lot of people do think it's like taking a pill and then it makes you feel better and then you just get on with it mm-hmm. um, in total, I had four blocks of chemo. I had two blocks over that four-month period, and then I went home for a week, 10 days. Yeah. Then went in for the third block, which was pretty horrible. Um, I had methotrexate, which is very strong. Yeah. And then I had to be hooked to a fluid drip, and I had to stay on the fluid drip constantly until all the methotrexate had flushed out. So it, it turned out to be five days. But what other people don't realise is you're plugged into it. So even to go to the toilet, you've got to get out of bed, unplug the drip, coil the cable up, drag it across the room, go you know, go and sit down, have a wee, get back into bed. But you're having so many fluids, you need to have another wee in about an hour's time. And I had to explain to one of the doctors why I wasn't sleeping. Um, but again, they prob- they're probably not there as much as the nurses. They're not the ones changing the drips and... I don't know if it's too much information, but uh, during that time, I had to wee into cardboard pots because they wanted to measure how much fluid I was taking in. Mm. So it's not it's not particularly easy no. to do all the bits that are required of you. So definitely, so that was that. And then I had a month at home before I went to a different hospital to have my transplant. So when did the idea of having a transplant? come up was it something that they mentioned you may have to have right at the beginning or did it sort of just become apparent over time I think I think it was maybe later in the summer they said we're going to be looking at a transplant Mm -hmm. I think the younger you are the better the chances are I was 40 yeah 44 at the time so probably getting a little bit older Um, but they said no we're going to be looking for a potential donor and they found a 10 out of 10 match which was good and all I know is that it's a German man. Um, and then they said, you're going to Southampton General because they've got a uh, bone marrow transplant unit there. Um, so they said, you're going in on November the 30th with a view to having your transplant on the 9th of December. Uh, how was transplant that itself. process? Well, you have six days conditioning therapy to get your body ready for it, mm. which is not nice. Mm. I'd lost most of my hair by then but the rest of it came out um eyelashes eyebrows looked like a boiled egg 
ridiculous. <laughs> you don't realise how much your hair keeps you warm. Yeah. So I had pretty much every side effect going um, with this stuff. It was called Campus. It's absolutely evil. But the transplant itself was a bit of a non-event. It's a little bag of red cells that they hook up to your IV. takes about an hour to drip through. Mm-hmm. And then that's it. But they'd warned me. They said, you'll feel okay for two or three days and then you are going to feel very, very ill. Okay. And they were right. It was horrid. They'd um, hooked me up to a feeding drip as well because one of the side effects um, is mucositis. And my mouth, my tongue were absolutely covered in ulcers. Couldn't swallow. So they put the feeding drip in before you get any symptoms. Otherwise, it it won't go in. Yeah. So I had that in for two weeks, I think. That was horrid. It goes Mm -hmm. in, it hooks over your your face and goes up your nose. Um, That was on top of all the drips. So going to the bathroom, you had to unplug your feeding thing. And the dri- and I had at that point I had a Hickman line in with three pegs on it, so I could have three lots of drugs going in. So unplug all that just to you know, walk across the room. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the week following my transplant, I I didn't want to get out of bed. Just felt like I'd been hit by a truck. I was so tired. Um, I had no saliva. Couldn't eat. Couldn't drink. I just remember lying there thinking, you know, just can we can we get on with this now? I've had enough. Yeah. Um, and then I think after a week to 10 days, I woke up on, I remember it was a Monday morning and I thought, I feel better. <laughs> it, was, it was that quick. Mm. Not that I was 100% better, but I woke up, I thought, do you know what? I actually feel like I could eat something today. And okay. there was a lovely Irish nutritionist and she used to bring me ice poles every morning. It was about the only thing. You could put in your mouth and just let it melt. Mm. Um, and that was the week before Christmas. And remember my consultant came on. He said, you, your blood, your neutrophils have jumped right up. If this carries on, we can look at um, discharging you. And I went home on Boxing Day. So I was in for 26 days, which apparently is pretty quick. Yes, yeah, that's definitely quick from from my experience. So it sounds like you had a really rough time through the chemo and the transplant and it was lots and lots of side effects, but how did it feel sort of going home and then slowly realising the transplant had appeared to work at least for a while? It was, to get home, it was just silly things like having your own bed, Mm. Um, being able to open the window, having carpet under your feet, not being woken up every two hours, yeah. you know, just to see if you're still alive, actually having more than an hour's sleep at a time. Yeah. I mean, it, I was exhausted. To make a cup of tea took me probably half an hour. It, it, the fatigue is it's very hard to describe. I mean, bless her, my best friend, she was doing my washing for me. She, she'd gone the day I was... Um, I told her I was going to be discharged. She cleaned my flat, put fresh sheets on, made sure there was food and what have you. But it's it's just little things. I mean, making my bed was a Herculean effort. Yeah. Um, at that point, I was going back in twice a week to be monitored, sort of bloods and what have you. 
and having hospital transport. Um, then it went down to once a week, then once a fortnight. And it gradually sort of tails off as you sort of get your strength back. Yeah. But I was in and out for uh, having cell top-ups, um, donor lymphocyte infusions, which is just a top-up of donor cells. And that yeah. was every six weeks or so for a sort of a year and a half. Yeah. Um, I had pentamidine neb- nebulizers as well. They're vile. It's a horrible <laughs> tasting thing and you have to sit and inhale it for 45 minutes. It's nasty. And regular bone marrow biopsies to make sure there was... I wouldn't say nothing coming back because I always had a small amount of residual disease. Okay. Um, so I think I had a couple of months where it was it was gone and then it came back. But talking to my consultant, she said, well, I know a lot of people that have had tiny amounts of residual disease. It was a ridiculously small mm-hmm. amount. And then as the time goes by, you kind of go to the back of your mind. Yeah, and so you know, at then that going point... In every, Sorry, just at that point, you weren't really, there was hope, I guess. So you were thinking, oh, this will, after all that. Yeah, yeah. The kind of thinking, oh, you know, I was lucky. I had a good match. I've got my strength back. And then towards, probably towards the end of 2018, beginning of 2019, um, I started having back issues again. Um, So I mentioned it to my consultant and he sent me for some x-rays. This would have been May. 2019 and he said yeah you've got three more compression fractures so I thought oh well that explains the pain um changed up some painkillers and what have you mm-hmm. um but at that point my blood were okay um but as a result of the x-rays they sent me for an MRI on my back in August and I had routine blood before I had the MRI and I remember coming out of the scan room and there was a voicemail from my consultant and she said can you ring me as soon as you get this message so I phoned her and she said I'm so sorry and I thought she doesn't even need to say anymore because she was always kind of a we always had quite a good sort of banter relationship (laughs) and to hear her so serious yeah and she said I've spoken to your local hospital they've got a bed for you you need to go in tonight that must have been quite a difficult moment for you, given that you'd, um, you'd had that hope for a while that, you know, after all you'd oh, been through. I just think it's not fair. Mm. I've been through all this. Not that I would wish it on anyone else, but you know, it's, I've done my time. Yeah. But it was the little sort of feeling of relief to think, actually, I'm probably in the right place for them to make me feel better. I was starting to get the fatigue back again. Mm. So they gave me um, Zincristine and I think it is Immunizatab, the one I can never say. Inotuzumab, is that the one? That's the one. That's the, I can never say it. Um, but apparently I responded quite well and then they started discussing the options. Yeah. And they said, well, we can keep you on chemo, but it's only going to be effective for a finite amount of time because your body will get used to it. Okay. Um, and then probably about, it was quite early on actually that my doctor said, well, we've heard about this trial up in London. We're going to see if you're suitable. Um, and I think I've been in 
local hospital a couple of weeks and off I went to London to go and be tested and what have you and to meet the lead doctor. And I recognised her because there was a documentary called War in the Blood that I'd watched earlier in the year. Yeah. And it was the same lady. I thought, oh, I know who you are. <laughs> I'm um, sure she gets that a lot that now. Good old bag? <laughs> yeah, she probably does. Um, yeah, it did move quite quickly because during yeah. September I made three trips up to London to have my cells harvested. And it's called, I've got the glasses here, leucophoresis. Yes. And they hook you up and it takes four or five hours and they take all your the cells they want. Um, and they said, well, we're not going to do it through your arm because your veins are too small. So I've got yet another scar because they put a line in through my groin. Um, but it, did, it didn't hurt. Just lay there for four or five hours until they got what they wanted and then I went back to local hospital and they said well we just have to wait until we grow them in the culture until they're ready to be reinfused. Can we just go back a moment if that's all right mm. I'm intrigued by the the fact you'd seen this documentary so just for people who are listening mm. who may not know the documentary I think I think it was early 2019 when it came out. It's a documentary um, about CAR-T therapy, which is um, currently approved uh, for use in the NHS for patients with ALL if you're less than 25 years old, but at the moment is still in trials for um, people of your age, Claire, so uh, and just adults generally. So you'd seen this documentary at, before you had CAR-T, when you watched it, knowing that you had had the same leukemia type as the people in the documentary, did it ever sort of? Did you watch it as an outsider, or did you feel some sort of sort of deeper connection, if you like, to to the people um, in the in the film? I watched it as a blood cancer patient, as mm. interested it, at that time, at the beginning of the year. It never crossed my mind that it was something that I would be part of but it was interesting to see because they had the two guys on the trial I think one was in his 50s one was a teenager yeah and having watched that and the side effects that they had I remember thinking well this looks quite grim yeah um and then that would have been sort of so as you say early April May time and then in September they're saying this is what we think could be a good idea for you Mm-hmm. Um, but what I didn't realise at the time is that it had been filmed in 2017. So I think there had been quite a few advances then since then. Yeah. Because I yeah. remember saying to Dr. Roddy, that looked pretty grim. They they tell you the side effects could be the worst flu you've ever had multiplied by about a thousand. I thought, well, this doesn't sound very nice at all. And <laughs> neurotoxicity, which can affect the um into your brain well that that sounds sounds pretty grim as well but what's the other choice i stay on chemo until it's ineffective Mm. um but dr roddy was lovely she gave me loads of info um went through a lot of things um and i did say to her yes i have watched the documentary i found it a bit grim and that's when she said yes it was filmed nearly three years ago things have changed a bit since then so yeah that was a bit heartening 
Yes. And around that time, I was on. I used Twitter. I joined Twitter when I went in for my transplant. I thought, oh, it'll be something to do. And I started talking to a girl called Sophie who had been through CARTI a couple of months previously. Mm-hmm. So we we chatted on Twitter and she said, oh, if there's anything you want to ask or whatever, please just message me. So it was nice to actually talk to someone that had been through it and said, no, actually, it's not so bad. Um, you know, I'm fine. I'm a few months down the line. So that really did help talking to someone that had, you know, been there and done it. Yeah. Rather than something that had been filmed a few years previously. Yeah. But I have to say, I didn't get any side effects at all. Uh, I was very, very lucky. That's good to hear. Especially after yeah. your experience the first time round. So you were in London and they'd suggested you go up there for this car tea, which you'd seen in a documentary, but you were reassured it yeah. was going to be hopefully not as yeah. horrible as it seemed in the documentary. But did you have any concerns about it still being a little bit experimental at all? Or did how did how did you how did you feel um, about doing it? Yeah, I'll be honest, when we first went through it I was pretty scared. Um mainly because the neurotoxicity because they said if, if you get this it's similar to dementia symptoms. Um and they said well you're not necessarily going to be aware Mm-hmm. that you have it. So after my first infusion, I had to do um, like little, um, not, what's the word, little test sheets. I had to draw a clock with a specific time. They'd ask me what day it was, where I was, point to objects around the room and say, what's this or what's this? Mm-hmm. And daily challenge was to name as many words beginning with S in 60 seconds. Um and it is apparently similar to tests that they give for Alzheimer's yeah. or dementia. Um, so I had to do had to do that I think every day until I left. Oh, and they make you write a sentence so they can see any deterioration in your handwriting. Okay. Lots of little cognitive things. Mm. Um, so yeah, I was pretty worried about that. Um, I think I'd spoken to a couple of people who said if you've had a transplant, this will be a breeze. My doctor, my local doctor, actually described a transplant as a blunderbuss of a treatment. Um, And I say compared to that, it was, it's the same procedure. It's like a little bag of cells that they just drip in and then they monitor you. Um, First dose, I think, is 100 million cells. And then after nine days, if you haven't reacted badly, they will give you 300 million. And then you have to stay in for two weeks following the second dose. Yeah. But they monitor you so closely, um, temperature spikes, anything. Um, but I remember one of the guys in London saying, I don't mind coming in to see you on my rounds because it's always simple. <sighs> I don't think I even had a temperature spike the time well, I was there. <laughs> yeah, he meant it in a nice way. It yeah. might not have come out in that way. But yeah, it was. I was still tired, but not not a fraction as tired as after having the transplant. Yeah. I was discharged. Um, I'm just trying to think when I went in the beginning of November and I came out the first week of December, probably just over a month or so. Mm-hmm. But in January, they said, well, we want you to come back up for a biopsy. And they said, no, you won't be eligible for a hospital transport. So off I went on the train with my little bag. 
um, brave the tube. I mean, there's no way I could have done that a month after having a transplant. Mm. I wouldn't have been able to even walk maybe half a mile. Never mind do that. But yeah, it was it was painless. I didn't have any side effects. And so far, so good. I'm due for a biopsy in a couple of weeks. So hopefully things are as they should be. Yes, um, I hope so. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. I mean, since the pandemic, I've been having my treatment locally instead of going up to London mm-hmm. every month. So, but I mean, the, the only thing is the samples are just taken and sent up by a courier. Well, I mean, personally, it's a lot easier for me to have a 10 minute taxi drive than a, an hour and a half on the train. Yeah, so I'm, I'm quite happy. I'm quite happy doing that, actually. Sorry, I was just thinking about the difference between. Uh, CAR-T and transplant how for you in terms of from the patient side of the experience you think do you, would you say you would if possible would you prefer to have CAR-T the first time round? maybe back in 2015 it was I don't think it had even been thought of then I don't it would have still been in development maybe yeah, if yeah. I had it back then I would have had all the horrific side effects that the two people in the documentary had mm. so uh, probably easy to say what if isn't it yeah um I did feel probably a bit more comfortable knowing that they'd had a few years of using CAR-T and a lot of people had been through it um and at the end of the documentary they show a lot of people who've had it and how long they've been in remission for which is always quite nice to see someone who's come out the other side how long has it been since you finished hospital how long have you technically been in remission up until now I left UCLH, well, I had my second infusion on the 21st of November, so okay. I would guess officially then. I went home on the, I think, the 5th of December, and everything, uh, December, January, February, March, I had biopsies monthly. Then it went to three monthly, so at the moment I'm having three monthly biopsies and regular bloods. Uh, yeah. So far, so good. So um, my initial pretty... plan after, I can say, my initial plan after my transplant was to make it to fifty, because they say, oh, if you get five years post transplant, yeah. it's unlikely to come back. And I didn't quite make it without the relapse, but yeah, still here. Yeah. So, uh, does that worry you that you may be sort of approaching a similar time scale to where you relapse in your transplant? Is it something you do still worry about, or do you try not to? I think any case, any cancer patient, it'll always be at the back of their mind: is it back? But you, it, you've just got to get in that mindset that not every sniffle or tired being tired is. Otherwise, just worry your your life away. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. I think I'm monitored regularly enough that if there was something untoward, um, that they'd be on it. Actually, beginning of 2017, that was the year and a bit post-transplant, I found a lump in my neck and my first thought was, oh God, this I don't know what it is, I need to get it checked out. Yeah. But I phoned my doctor, I went over to hospital the next day it turned out to be um, a slightly swollen lymph node and I had glandular fever. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of reassuring that I I found something I wasn't happy with, but they were on it absolutely straight away. Yeah. And they had me in every single week 
of blood tests until they were happy. Beam referred me to uh, an ENT specialist. I had another I had a thing up my nose and down my throat and all that to have a look at it. Um, and it was a couple of months sort of visiting various doctors and what have you, and they said, no, it is. Um, but no, it's just a slightly swollen lymph node as a result of having glandular fever. A lot of people can relate to that feeling of, of seeing something the the rest of us would probably brush off and then worrying about because of previous experience. So. Yeah, yeah, I'd sure. rather know what's going on. But yeah, as you say, I don't think it ever really leaves you that you think it could come back. But you've just got to try and get on with it. Every day's a bonus, really. There's yeah. a lot of people that are not around that have been through... I used a cancer support centre for quite a while after my transplant and <clears throat> there are quite a few people that are not around anymore. Some older than me, some younger than me. So as I say, every day is a bonus. I did get to 50 last year. Wasn't Good. much of a celebration. Thanks, Corona. But <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you um, how the pandemic has been for you because uh, obviously we've been supporting a lot of patients who... I've been told yeah. to shield and they've been told that they're extra vulnerable and, and that on top of a, a diagnosis of leukemia yeah. must be difficult. But how, how has it been for you personally, if you don't mind me asking? No, it's fine. I was, well, it was about March. I was just starting to feel better. I'd had two theatre trips. We'd actually been up to London the week before. My hair was starting to come back. And I thought, yeah, I'm starting to feel a bit more like me. Mm-hmm. And then four days later, I got a phone call from my nurse practitioner right, you can't leave your flat now for 12 weeks. Oh, okay. And at that point, you know, her voice was enough. Um, I think the info that I had, I thought, if I get it, I'm probably not going to come out of the other side. So it was fine. I I wasn't, well, fine. I spent four months in the same hospital room. 12 weeks at home was a lot more luxurious. Um, I was still having my treatment I was just going to a local hospital instead of up to London uh, I used to get quite excited when I had to go to the hospital for a blood test because it meant going out yes but yeah um it was it was all right actually I qualified for the um the food boxes because I was on my own and at the time it was so difficult to get a delivery slot yeah and there was no way on earth I was going shopping and I wouldn't have asked someone to do it for me so I did quite nicely I shared it with other neighbours my, my neighbours either side of me are both elderly they were shielding um it was it was all right actually it'd be nice if I'd had a garden because I'm in a second floor flat um but I remember getting a call from my doctor in June and he said you can go out for walks on your own as long as you are careful yeah, and I went straight out that night. It was tipping with rain. I thought, you know what? I don't care. I'm allowed out. Yeah. Um, but I think the idea of what would happen to me if I did get the virus. I mean, it, it's horrific. I lost a friend to Corona in April. Mm. So that that was horrible. He was younger than me. No underlying issues. Watched his funeral via like a remote link. It was on the local news down here. Mm. So, um, I know there are a lot of crazy people out there who think it's a hoax that it doesn't exist. It does. Don't be 
stupid. And it's so rude to all the NHS people that are busting a gut to keep people well. Yeah. I know my local my local hospital this has a capacity of eight hundred. Over five hundred people in there have COVID. It's just I've been very, very lucky. None of my appointments were cancelled due to it. Yeah. Um so they've done an incredible job. My my nurse, her partner works in respiratory. And she said that at one point, she said, we're all resigned to the fact that we probably are all going to get the virus at some point. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's nasty. I don't want it. I didn't come through cancer twice to get a virus. Exactly. Uh, I think a lot of people uh, relate to what you said about sh- uh, shielding being better than um, being stuck in hospital. Uh, we did a couple of podcasts right at the beginning of the pandemic with uh, acute leukemia. A couple yeah. of people had acute leukemia and they said, yes, it's difficult. And obviously we sympathize with people who are struggling. It is hard, but they felt it wasn't quite as hard as it was when they were being treated. So I guess it, it's individual for everyone. It puts things in, into perspective, I guess. It does. And I, I need to bite my tongue sometimes. People moaning, I can't go to the pub. I mean, my friend threw her toys out of the pram because she couldn't go out for a meal. And I thought, no, just step away from the keyboard. (laughs) It's not so bad. I've got a nice flat. Um, I did do rather a lot of online shopping. Um, Started a few crafty bits. I made all my own Christmas cards last year. Uh, You know, it's what you make it. You can sit there and look at the wall or you can use Twitter or Facebook. Actually, I had a delivery this morning from a total stranger. There was a bookshop on Twitter and people were saying they would like to donate a book to anyone who is isolated or not seeing their family. So I said, oh, I'm on my own. I'm shielding. Would that be me? And they said, yeah, what would you like? So I gave them a couple of titles and it arrived this morning. So that's people I've never met, probably never will meet. Yeah. Um, just nice little things, really. Um, my neighbour left me a bunch of flowers after I'd been sharing my forest box with her. Um, it's just little things. I'm lucky. I might not have a massive circle of friends, but the ones I have are good. I yeah. used to go to quite a few music festivals and uh, a neon pink light up flamingo came through the post last year. So I could have a festival in my sitting room. Oh. <laughs> I feel like it has brought it's out the best nice. in some people. Um, unfortunately, yeah. not so much in others, but it's lovely to hear that you've got all the support you need. That's really good. To hear. It, life, life is what you make it, isn't it, really? So, yeah, it's nice. somebody sent me um, an envelope full of hugs. And I opened it and it was tiny little speech bubbles about so big and each one had hug written on it. So she posted me an envelope full of hug. Lovely. I mean, that that's is, yeah, nice. it's, just, it's just little things, isn't it? What you make it. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say, I've had three shows cancelled this month that I would have been going to. But, you know, if I'm still around when the theatre's open, I'll go again. Yeah, exactly. I think you kind of got to have that. Oh, there's a lot to be said for positive mental attitude, really. 
That kind of brings us on Definitely. nicely to my last question then, I guess. What would you advise to someone who'd just been diagnosed? Uh, well, uh, looking forward to the whole of this journey they've got to come that you that was really difficult for you in terms of side effects and things, but what, what would you say to them to help them get through that time? It's difficult because everyone is different. I personally, I remember when I was diagnosed, I said, okay, fine, what are we going to do to fix it? I don't remember crying straight away. I think that comes when it, it sinks in, but I read up a lot about what I had. Yeah. Um, I would say don't Google anything other than, actually my Macmillan nurse said you can use Macmillan site or the NHS site. Anything else, don't Google your symptoms. Yeah. And I said to my friends, whatever you've read anywhere, I don't want to hear it. Um, maybe just take it one day at a time. Don't say, oh, I, I want to be better in four weeks. Just see how it is. If you have a rubbish day, then hopefully the next day will be better. Yeah. Most of the time it is. Sometimes it isn't. I I have little calendars with my blocks of chemo and I, I tick them off. So you could think, yeah, you're getting there, you're getting through it. Mm. And then gradually days turn into weeks. And then you think, oh, I've had a few weeks where I felt good. And then they sort of slip into months. But, oh, and listen to your body. If your body wants to sleep for 12 hours um, and you don't feel like getting out of your pyjamas, do it. That's what I did yesterday. <laughs> yeah, be, be kind, kind to yourself. yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. what I was thinking. <laughs> Yeah, yeah and definitely. if people want to help, yeah, don't be afraid to ask for help. I think a lot of people don't know how to deal with having a friend or a relative who has cancer. Unfortunately, there are some people that were friends that I never heard from again, um, and some that were absolutely brilliant, and a few that I've picked up along the way. Um, I'll be honest, if I hadn't had cancer, I would still be at work slogging away. And now I've got a load of new friends. I've done stuff I wouldn't even have imagined doing 10 years ago. I've been a catwalk model um, for uh, Wessex Cancer. Um, that's the cancer support centre that I used to use. And we had a gala event to launch a book which was for recently diagnosed people, which I'm also in. And they said, will you get up and model with other cancer patients? And I initially said, no, it's not my thing. And then I thought, yeah, we'll do it. I did insist on in wearing jeans, though. But there were 24 of us on the catwalk that were all survivors. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was amazing. I'm really glad I did it now. But I wouldn't have done that. Um, I've been on a West End stage with Matt Lucas. That probably wouldn't have happened. No. <laughs> All sorts of mad things that Yeah. But you maybe get the mindset that I don't know how much time I've got left. If you want to do something, get on and do it. Definitely. Well, that's maybe for anybody. Definitely. Really, maybe the Matt Lucas story is a story for another day. <laughs> Sounds intriguing. <laughs> um I'll I'll tweet you the picture. <laughs> He was dressed as a Rubik's Cube. <laughs> it gets stranger and stranger. 
But That's great. Yes, I think you think if you get opportunities to do things, do it. Definitely. Because you don't know. I never thought I'd relapse. Um, and I don't suppose my friend back in April ever thought he'd die from COVID. So life is short. I think I might even have that on my Twitter bio or my Facebook bio. <laughs> life is short. You don't know what's around the corner. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, got, yeah, people say, oh, God, I wish I'd done that. Well, why didn't you? Definitely. If you have the health and the money and you really want to do something, then do it. Great. Well, thank you, Claire, for telling us the story for the podcast. It's been fantastic. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leukemia Chatters. For more information and support from Leukemia Care, go to our website, leukemiacare.org.uk or call our helpline 08088 010 444. See you next month.